0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. From the St. Regis Hotel in downtown Toronto, welcome to the Empire Club of Canada. For those of you joining by webcast or podcast, welcome to the meeting. Today it is my honor to welcome Raoul Bardwaj to our podium. Raoul is the president and CEO of the Institute of Corporate Directors. By improving our capacity for leadership and good governance in Canadian businesses, agencies, and nonprofits, The Institute is doing critically important work. Better directors means better boards, which means better businesses. Some people may think that a board seat is a high-status perk, an easy job for easy money, but nothing could be further from the truth. Today, the job of a director can be difficult, time-consuming, and delicate. The old saying, nose in, fingers out, no longer passes the sniff test. And as the skill sets and responsibilities of directors have evolved, business leaders in Canada have continued to turn to the Institute for Guidance on Best Practices. Changing times require changing leadership, and given the sheer number of disruptive forces at work in today's economy, those changes are coming faster than ever. That's why I'm excited to welcome Raoul to the stage this afternoon. We'll be hearing from him and then taking a few questions from the audience. So, without further ado, uh, further ado, please welcome Raul.
1: Well, thank you very much, Mike, and thank you and good afternoon, everybody. To state the obvious, there is little doubt that we are living in very turbulent times. So whether it's a teacher strike about regulatory uncertainty, railway disruptions, and maybe a little closer to home, just your garden variety road construction delays. How often have you heard the the refrain, why doesn't somebody just do something about that? Where is the leadership? Well one of my favourite leadership maxims happens to come from that great comedian, remember Lily Tomlin. So Lily once said, I always used to say that somebody should do something about that. Then I realized I was somebody. Well today I want to talk to you about a group of somebodies that I work with every day and who are in a great position in our country to do that very something. Now when you think of Canadian leaders, your minds might not turn to these specific leaders. They come from all sectors of the economy. They oversee trillions of dollars of market capitalization and institutions that impact the lives of virtually every Canadian. They approve the strategies of our wealth-creating companies and make the capital allocation decisions that set the direction for our economy. I'm talking, of course about Canada's board directors. Of course, being a director isn't what it used to be. In fact, being a director will never again be what it used to be. Odds are, it won't even be what it is right now. Of all those sectors that have been disrupted beyond recognition, the staid, predictable world of corporate governance is having its moment today. So for those here who still view directorship as somewhat of a comfortable pew to sit in, I'd advise us to recall what the US Navy SEALs say, and that is, the only easy day was yesterday. Now this is not just because of the extraordinary social, political, technological, and commercial upheavals of the past few years, nor just because of the radical transformation in corporate governance and shareholder sentiment, nor just because of the rise of amoralism and the decline of trust, though all of them are factors in what has shifted from disruption to revolution. No, this is also because the very nature of why organizations exist is now being called into question. Last month, the Edelman Trust Barometer, which polled 34,000 people in 28 countries on how much they trust core institutions. Well, it revealed that for the first time, most people believe that capitalism is doing more harm than good. If that isn't an existential crisis, please tell me what is. It's one thing to have Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, say that society is demanding that companies, both public and private, serve a social purpose. But that was eons ago, back in 2018. Since that, he said, he made the stunning claim in his recent annual letter to CEOs that climate change has brought us to, and I'm going to quote, the edge of a fundamental reshaping of finance and in the near future, a significant reallocation of capital. BlackRock is committed to place sustainability at the center of its investment approach. He also made it clear, and I'm going to give you a longer quote here, that they will be, this is BlackRock, increasingly disposed to vote against management and board directors when companies are not making sufficient progress on sustainability-related disclosures and the business practices and plans underlying them. Now, with this kind of change disrupting the world outside the boardroom, it's little wonder that we're seeing major changes inside the boardroom. The discussions around the boardroom table are changing completely. If issues such as climate change are not on your agenda, they need to be. Now, as you heard earlier from Mike, directors have traditionally been nose in, fingers out. That is, that it could inquire about just about anything, but they weren't required to do anything. This fingers out, which may be better described as hands off. It's still viewed as bad form at many board tables to be a director, who's also a lawyer and asks awkward questions about company making issues like patents, intellectual property, or class action lawsuits. But that too is changing. Fiduciary duty used to mean keep the money safe and make sure the organization remains a going concern for the future. But the meaning of fiduciary duty has had to change in order to be effective in an age where we simply don't know where the next threat is coming from, let alone what that threat is going to be. No one even talked about COVID-19 this past Christmas because it didn't exist. This is why I believe directors are entering a new era. By necessity, we now live in the age of the activist director. In fact, this is a time when all directors must be activist directors, not just the gadflies and the greenmailers, but all directors. No activist director in the traditional sense has ever been accused of being nose in and fingers out. Their job, their worth came from being the exact opposite. To be clear, I am not advocating for boards to be in a constant state of revolution against management. The average tenure of a Canadian CEO is six years and falling. The average tenure of a Canadian corporate director, 10 years. So who do you think has a better chance of getting the long view of the company's strategy and prospects right? What I'm advocating is that all directors should be more nose-in and fingers-in where appropriate. No director should view their special talents and professional skills as something they leave outside the board meetings like they would their cell phones. The expertise that got them into the boardroom means nothing if it isn't put to use in the boardroom. Let's take the issue of diversity. It's a very big thing in Canada. In fact, it's viewed as our competitive advantage around the world. There are now federal rules on diversity issues that go beyond gender and language, like indigenous representation, disability, and ethnicity. But one way to view diversity is as a compliance issue. This is to check all the boxes, hope you don't fall offside, and constantly be seen to be praising the virtues of total diversity, whatever that means. But there's another way to view diversity as a competitive issue and a matter of lasting advantage. This strategy understands that the real benefits of diversity come not from just having different people around the table, They come from getting those different people to act together in ways they wouldn't have if so many backgrounds and viewpoints weren't at the table and weren't asked to insert their own unique perspectives and background into the conversation. In other words, unless diversity is actually doing something other than just making us feel good about ourselves, unless it's being actively employed To improve an organization's operations, performance, and future, then its potential and our potential as a nation is being stunted. The same goes if you appoint a big time IT person to your board. They need to be freed to liaise with your own IT people. Not just to politely ask IT questions at a board meeting, but to activate the very expertise for which you brought them on the board in the first place. They need to be more directive, more prescriptive, and yes, more activist. Why? Because IT has moved from the back line to the front line. Our latest director lens survey at the ICD reveals that the two biggest issues facing Canada's directors today are data security and artificial intelligence. Now, I'm certainly not advocating that board members should cross the line and become senior management. CEOs and their teams have to be able to do their job without being interfered by boards. But the dramatic changes beyond the boardroom walls are forcing equally dramatic shifts within boardrooms. Now, in a lot of ways, this makes the role of the chair especially challenging. Because he or she, and sadly, in Canadian public companies, only 5% of chairs are she's, the chair will have to lead the redrawing of the lines between board and management, freeing directors to speak their minds. Now, this is easier said than done. Now, if you're a friend of the CEO or, or your appointment as a director to the CEO, are you going to call them out for bad behavior? Surprisingly, more and more, the answer seems to be yes. Just ask the CEO of McCain Foods, Michael McCain. He made headlines six weeks ago when an Iranian missile brought down Ukrainian Airlines Flight 762 just after it left Tehran Airport. And as you know, there were no survivors. On board were 63 Canadians, including a McCain employee and his daughter. A few days later, McCain took to his Twitter account to lay blame for the tragedy. His target was Donald Trump. Now as McLean's magazine noted the next day, McCain's tweets, and I'm quoting, mark an astonishing departure from the extreme caution and controversy avoidance that usually characterize corporate Canada. Now according to the results of the Edelman Trust Barometer I cited earlier, 82% of respondents want CEOs to speak out on societal issues. I'd say that by crystallizing the new leadership role that our corporate leaders are beginning to play, McCain was ahead of his time. I was astonished. I bet you were too. But as the CBC commented after we'd all caught our breath, they said the tweets sparked a broad conversation not only about the tragedy and where culpability lies, but also the role of a corporate leader who is responsible to shareholders using the company's extended platform for his personal reflections. So let me ask you, has anyone here stopped buying Maple Leaf Foods, either their bacon or their shares? Is Michael McCain being shunned in the corridors of power? I don't think so. He may pay a price for attacking Donald Trump, but I believe He's crystallized a new leadership role, and it's one that I believe directors must also take on. When the sightline of a politician is rarely more than one cycle ahead, and when unknown unknowns are not the exception, but they're the rule, who better to think about how companies and Canada itself can compete in let's say 2030? No, directors did not sign up for this, but this is where we are. We at the ICD have come to view this shift, not as an unwanted task, but as an unprecedented opportunity to step up and play a greater role in the direction of Canadian business and the direction of Canada. We believe it's time for directors to move into a leadership space they have not occupied before and likely won't feel all that comfortable in for some time yet. Because pummeling changes happening everywhere today all have profound long-term effects. It took just six months for hashtag me to change the power dynamic in the workplace. It took just a year for the perilous downside of social media to reveal the hidden power of surveillance capitalism. Just a year for indigenous issues to move to the top of so many corporate agendas. And a year for climate change to shift from distant peril to clear and present danger. And a month for an open air market in China to wipe out lives, industries, global growth. So let me ask you, who has the experience, the perspective, and the judgment To know and manage the long-term implications of these explosive changes in what constitutes normal or customary. Not by design, but by default, I believe it's directors. What Canada urgently needs are leaders who will steer Ottawa and the provinces away from the corrosive short-term thinking that replies to trade challenges with tariffs, answers depressed resource prices. With a lot more finger pointing, and defines the workplace of the future as a work at home option. If the past four years, that's the time I've been the CEO of the ICD, have shown us anything, it's that short term challenges, as acute and painful as they may feel, have been met largely by short term answers. But no enterprise can spend their entire life in an ER. These are simply not solutions. We have in this room an outsized opportunity and responsibility to drive better decision-making. Not only in our boardroom, but in our companies and also across our country, and it's dealing with the world beyond. Now, I mentioned earlier that our competitive advantage globally is our diversity. But I think it's time we work to create another competitive advantage. It's one that will secure and sustain our future as much as does our diversity. That idea is national unity. Now, you might think, given what's happening between the provinces and Ottawa, and between Ottawa and our Indigenous peoples, that this is a ridiculous idea. Who are we to claim any ownership of national unity when we seem to be beset by national disunity, Well, that's true-ish because Canada is actually pretty successful in solving our structural differences peaceably and without tearing ourselves apart. We've done it before and we can do it again. In fact, that's my point. The tribalism and disunity that are now viewed in places like the U.S. and in Britain, not as bugs, but as characteristics, have largely failed in Canada. I believe it's precisely because of how we solve our problems, how we deal with each other as citizens and even walk down the street. In fact today, in the midst of serious challenges to our national identity, I ask you, what better time to have directors enter that debate and use their unique perspective and leadership skills to sow some unity back into our national fabric. Today, when our international partners are asking why deal with someone when they can't even get their goods to market, today is the time to start reminding the world of just how united we can be. So how do we do this? Starts by thinking big. Canadians have always had their differences, whether linguistic or regional, and we haven't always got along perfectly. And that's okay, because families disagree from time to time. But Canada has also always overcome huge obstacles together. We have forged purpose by identifying needs and rallying the energy, the money, and the excitement to get it done. Previous generations, they built railways, they built the Trans-Canada Highway, healthcare. But somewhere along the way, we stopped thinking big. And we started to settle for managing the legacies left behind by previous generations. We have not renewed our common purpose, and it shows. We can't get our natural resources to market, for example, and we're still talking about interprovincial trade barriers. It's time for Canada to get back to pursuing projects that unite us and that give us common purpose, and it's time for the private sector And the public sector to start identifying legacies that we can create and hand down to our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. This more than anything will advance Canada and demonstrate to the world that we are united in purpose. As the voice of Canadian directors, our job at the ICD isn't to wait to react to changes in our members' roles. It's our job is changing the same way yours is. To be noses in and at times fingers in too. We activate directors. In doing this we help create a new kind of activist director. A director who can lead their companies and their country in new ways that our insistent times have demanded. The speed of change today is convulsive. The effect of change are pervasive and all-consuming. Canada's directors need something they've never had to be before. And that is that we need to be activist directors. And that will start, as does everything, with a conversation. You may already be doing that here as lunch today. But inevitably, that conversation on the role of directors will grow broader and deeper and faster in the months to come. We not only need to be in those conversations, we need to be leading those conversations. Because if not who, if not us, who, and if not now, when. Thank you for your time today.
0: Wonderful, wonderful presentation. We have a we have a few minutes to take some questions. Um, if anybody has one, please uh, feel free to put your hands up. Maybe uh, maybe I'll start out with one. Um, so when what advice do you give someone where the line between activist and meddlesome uh, you know comes?
1: It's always dangerous to give advice on stage, isn't it? Right? <laughs> so this is a very fine line, and what we're really talking about is board engagement as well. You know, there's uh, m- Many people ask us at ICD, you know, on the management side, how do you manage your board? Well, embedded in that is kind of the wrong question. The question is how do you lead and engage your board to actually get the best from that diversity, whether it be gender, ethnicity, or whether it be simple different skill sets. I think there should be a different type of relationship that I've I've focused on the chair of bringing the two together to make sure that you're engaging the board and getting the most out of the board focused on strategy. It's a fine line but it's got to go beyond that line of simply nose in, fingers out, oversight. Wonderful. Uh,
0: Do we have a question here?
2: Uh, You had uh, made mention of diverse boards and um, the social benefit of having a diverse board is pretty obvious. Uh, but I've heard that diverse boards are also more robust, stronger boards, and I believe that, but I, I don't know why. Maybe if you could color that in for me. Sure.
1: So there's a lot of emerging uh, research about how more diverse boards are driving more innovation. So we'd love to see where that actually goes. But some of the genesis around this has been around the notion of both groupthink and unconscious bias. And the notion of groupthink, for those who may not be familiar with this, is pretty well what it says it does. That if everybody came from the same background, and everybody was in the room looking at the same issues of the same way, that ultimately you wouldn't be testing those issues or strategies. You'd be all coming back with the same perspective, and you could effectively end up with groupthink, and necessarily, you know, at times, poor decision making. There's also the notion of unconscious bias that's built into this as well. That once again, groups of individuals who are both, you know, coming from the same background personally and professionally are going to come and bring those biases, often unconscious, to their decision making at the board. So the idea about diversity is really about having different perspectives to test strategies around the board and the the greater the variety that you've got, the better chances that you're going to have different perspectives around the strategy, as well as the stakeholders that you need to have an eye on. And we don't want to miss the opportunity to remind everybody that this has also been brought into legislation. So the CBCA amendments have actually put this in, so there's a public policy recognition that having a greater greater diversity on your board de-risks the decision making.
0: I think we have uh, one more question over here
2: thanks for the uh, thanks for the talk I was uh, going to suggest that the activist director model <coughs> may have begun with the CSR movement corporate social responsibility in and around the early 2000s would you assess would you agree with that statement one and two would you assess how CSR has perhaps led us to this point where you are now formally calling for perhaps more activism in the corporate boardroom.
1: Sure. So the, the question is really linking the notion of activist director with, with CSR. And I think what we're really talking about, when you think of the activist director as I'm trying to describe it, it's just to juxtapose it with the orthodox view of corporate governance that really said, and I'm oversimplifying, shareholders, put your money in to capitalize a company, nominate some directors, directors go there take care of the money and make sure that we're actually generating returns solely for the benefit of the shareholders, and I'm trying to simplify it. But as that's grown over time, through things like CSR that says slow down, there are actually other stakeholders that are really relevant to this conversation. And it's not just to be nice to those stakeholders, but actually recognizing those stakeholders, incorporating their views, is actually going to generate long term wealth for the organization as well. So I think those two have actually worked lockstep in hand. I think what's really seminal in Canada right now though, and I want to go back to the CBCA amendments, it's now in legislation. It used to be in a court case that many of you will know as the BCE case that said fiduciary duty, you have a duty to the corporation, but the duty to the corporation is beyond just the shareholders. It's not in spite of, it's not their secondary, it's just there are other stakeholders to take consideration in. And now that we start to look at activist directors from our perspective, it's not only on the stakeholder side, but let's look at the complexity and uncertainty of our times right now. We didn't get into great length about that, but whether it's cyber, whether it's globalization, there are a host of issues that are going to require different types of thinking and different level of expertise on a board. So, for instance, if you're actually going to have a company that's going to be doing work in, let's say, a country in Southeast Asia, you don't need somebody necessarily from Southeast Asia on your board, but boy, you better have somebody in there that knows something about doing work there, so as you develop a strategy, they can actually help you, uh, actually give you points of view around that, perhaps in less of an oversight way and a more active way.
0: Let's uh, thank Raul. And I'm now going to ask uh, Steve Ehrlichman from FASKIN to come up and uh, provide proper appreciation.
2: So Rahul, thank you for your thought-provoking speech. Uh, You and I first met when I was the Executive Director of the Canadian Coalition for Good Governance and you had just been appointed the ICD CEO. And over coffee, uh, we discussed the perspectives of directors and institutional investors on corporate governance matters, noting that there was a commonality of interest between directors and shareholders on many things, but there also were various divergent interests between directors and shareholders. So listening to you today reminded me of that discussion, but because I am a practicing lawyer at Faskin, your speech also reminded me of the important role that lawyers play in assisting directors to carry out their duties. So for example, Faskin, we have several, over 700 lawyers in numerous practice areas across Canada as well as in the UK and South Africa. And we're rec- regularly recognized as the world's leading mining law firm. So our lawyers will work with boards and management at mining companies uh, and as well as many other types of companies as well as and in, with institutional investors, with governments, with NGOs on governance as well as environmental and social matters, ESG. Including business and human rights, anti-corruption, cybersecurity and privacy Climate change and renewable energy so as the law and practice around the role of activist directors as you have described as that inevitably evolves so too will the type of assistance that directors will need from lawyers and their legal advisors Rahul thank you again for your valuable insights on issues facing boards of directors today and also what we might expect in the future
0: Well, thanks for coming out. We do have uh, other events coming up at the Empire Club of Canada. Uh, I want to highlight that Vickery Bowles, uh, who is the chief librarian at the, at, at the Toronto Public Library, who stood up in a, in a very meaningful way around free speech uh, last fall, is coming to the club uh, next on March 9th. I think there'll be a very fascinating discussion. Uh, there's other events on our website as well. Uh, please check them out. Thanks so much. This meeting is adjourned.